I sound like a robot? I do. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me better there? Yeah. I can hear oh, more you. Less. I'm gonna turn that down because I sound like a robot when I turn that up. <laughs> is this gonna be the this is the whole podcast? Like I'm a medium robot. Okay. I would say. Robot. Wow, now I can hear myself a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. do I want to hear myself? There's nothing worse than listening to your own voice. When you're asked to just say something, no one can do it. It's like, okay, just say your name at the recording. And I'm like, Nancy. Or when you have to get a sandwich and someone's like, what's your name? And you're like, Nancy. Nancy. Nancy? My name, they can never get it right. Yeah. Because it's M-A-R-X, right? Okay. I mean, sometimes I just say John. Yeah. It's so sad. That's the title of your memoir. Sometimes That's right. I just say John. That's a great title. <laughs> okay, so we're good? Yeah. Hi, this is Marx Reese Wilson, and you're listening to Into This, the podcast where I get to explore contemporary art through conversations with artists, curators, writers, collectors, students, and more. Today is the second episode of the podcast. And before starting, I would like to thank you guys for listening to the first one. And especially if you left a comment on Instagram or Facebook, or if you sent an email through intothispodcast.com, I really, really appreciated that. Please keep listening, and if you can, leave more comments. That would be awesome. In today's episode, my guests and I will talk about the paths and roads that started in art history and that so far has brought her to stand-up comedy. She's smart, funny, and very fun to talk to. I will let her introduce herself. Uh, I'm Nancy Webb, and I'm a writer and a comedian. Cool. And what else? Uh, I'm currently sticking to my chair because it's 40 degrees out. Um, no, I, I am the editor-in-chief of Spiffy Moves, which is a magazine featuring um, experimental art writing and emerging artists, um, mostly in Montreal, but in Canada in general. Nice. And um, yeah, I do stand-up comedy in Montreal and... Um, I guess I'm an art historian. That's what my records say. Good, okay. <laughs> um, so where, where are you from, Nancy? I'm from a small town, no longer small, but small when I grew up there, uh, called Milton. And it's um, like 30 minutes away from Toronto. I left Milton when I was 17, and I went to Ottawa to do my undergrad in art history there. Basically, I felt like I needed to... Expand and, mm -hmm. and no, get out I and completely see understand. Some yeah, things. So I chose yeah. Ottawa. <laughs> sure, let's go, let's go to Ottawa. Let's go to Ottawa. So you're just gonna cut it down to me saying, I grew up in a small town called Milton. Um, I love to run in the cornfields, uh, make flower crowns out of dandelions. Um, yeah, and then everything was great. Here we go. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> that, yeah, you see, that's that's better. So big family. No, so I have one brother. Yeah. Um, so it's just us, but I, but I had, I had lots of cousins, and it was nice okay. to have that. So what do your parents do, or used to do, if uh, they retired? So my dad is, he's in like sales, mm -hmm. but it's more like training people to, I don't know, be motivated. Does anyone know what their dad does? Does anyone? Yeah, really know? I, I guess it's true. That, that that's not a thing. 
Um, So he's still doing that. He'll probably retire soon. Um, My mother passed away when I was a teenager. Um, So, yeah, no, like, arts really... That's what, I'm, yeah, that's what I'm going yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody, nobody. No, not really. I remember we had like a Georgia O'Keeffe book um, that I used to look at a lot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my mother was very like artistic and oh, sure. um, well-read and, and that kind of thing. But no like formal training or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. And when did you discover that you were very interested in art? So I went to university and... I first started out in English literature because I knew, you know, I I liked to read a lot when I was a kid and I kind of grew up doing that and did well in my English courses and liked to write. So I thought, okay, I'll just go do English literature. But, you know, like knowing that you don't really want to do that, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, it's a ticket to get to another place. Take something, um, then I switch something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the yeah, plan. Yeah. So, went into uh, undergrad at University of Ottawa in English literature and um, switched after one year into art history. I want to say it's something really intellectual and like impressive, but. I was really bored in English literature, and okay. I wanted to go into a BFA and do visual art, sure. uh, fine art, mm-hmm. but I didn't get a portfolio ready in time, so I was like, I'll just do art history. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's it? That's how you chose it? <laughs> I mean, obviously, there was an interest in art in wanting to go, you know, so I, I felt just limited by um, having being in English literature and only sort of like having words as tools and, you know, only analyzing one type of mm-hmm. medium. And so I think, you know, there was a desire there. I was seeing, I was going to art shows and I was seeing things and I was like very curious about okay. um, this world. And so um, I had some friends who were artists at that time. Yeah, okay. so I was like, okay, I think maybe this is where I want to go. Yeah. But I was surprised at that art history was very separate from fine arts that's that's my next question right away it's it's probably it's very obvious but i have no idea how they teach art history um it's different everywhere of Mm. course like some some programs are a lot more traditional than others um but what i found was that there wasn't a lot of actual interaction with artists and artworks and When I started out, it was very classic, like, we're going to start at the cave paintings. Let's go. And then we're really? going to go. And we're That's a long way. What kind of column is this? <laughs> like, I was yeah. like, oh, but, okay, but where is, like, the stuff that is interesting and has to do with, like, yeah. is meaningful and makes me feel, makes me feel. And, yeah. and um But that just took a little time to get yeah. to get into, and um, so I would say, like, if you're, you know, if you're talking about an um, undergraduate level education in art history, usually pretty traditional. Still, I would say you're you're doing like a chronological mm-hmm. um, outline that's sort of uh, orbits around these these basic movements in art that are chronological and 
I understand that from a pedagogical point of view where mm-hmm. it's like, how are we going to teach all of this? It's, how are we going to organize this into uh, like modules that make sense? Um, but uh, it can be a little bit misleading because sure. it makes you feel like everything uh, sort of fits into these like all-encompassing categories. And mm. then when you actually talk to artists, when you actually branch out and read things and, you know, different disciplines, you're like, oh, okay, this is like a totally ridiculously dispersed pluralistic thing that yeah. cannot really be yeah. grouped into categories and, and taught. So uh, it was really when I got to my master's that I was like, okay, I can I can personalize this and I don't have to read things that are so boring that I'm falling asleep and I can, you know, I can I can find people who have these niche interests and yeah. But in general terms, would you say that it helped you in your master's, your education in bachelor's? I think it made me feel really insecure because I think, especially when I got to teaching and, mm-hmm. and being a teacher's assistant, mm-hmm. um, you're sort of like, what if someone asked me, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of art history. I really don't even operate like an art historian at all. And I know some amazing art historians and friends who are like encyclopedias. They know they can list off, you know, every single artist painting like sculpture year, every stat that you could ever mm-hmm. imagine. And that's so impressive to me, but. Does that um, work? Does that help though? I mean, I, I wonder if you, it really helps, I let's say in, if you're in the real, sure, if you're a teacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and it's really impressive in a social context. Oh, sure. I mean, if you're having drinks. Party, yeah, drinks. sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Saves you from a lot of shame. Maybe I should just lie. Yeah. No one will question me. I mean, I mean, you're a pretty good yeah. performer. So you, <laughs> just, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure you can you know, look super cool and just say things and everybody's going to be yeah. like, oh, she knows. Yeah. I mean, I feel like what I picked up was more of like a, as opposed to like concrete um, knowledge about specific artists and periods, I gained more of like a sensibility or a way of of looking at things and, and yeah. reading things and and I guess I don't want to say taste because it sounds really like elitist but I just mean like a yeah like a, a sort of a way of um judging making judgments yeah. and um sharing knowledge and and you know as opposed to like specific dates and and did that yeah. come naturally, or do you remember anybody having a huge uh, influence? Uh, I think it comes through, honestly, just the everything outside of when you're in a lecture or a class. Like sure. it comes from like having drinks with a friend who's in your program and having them, you know, bring over a book and leave it at your apartment. It's things that are just like so inconsequential, but. Um, they lead you down these paths that are really important. There's also a lot of pressure within the confines of academia, within the confines of a classroom. You're trying to impress someone. You're trying to be so articulate. You're trying, you know, and and nothing is nothing good is going to come of that because when people are not vulnerable, they're just like sure. little hard shell crabs, yeah. like trying not to look stupid. Yeah, and um. So that's why a lot of the really formative things have come from just like having drinks with friends or with our, you know, our friends who are artists or historians and um, just more casual 
settings and but I mean to become a part of those communities unfortunately a lot of the time it means enrolling in a program mm-hmm. you know going through that mm-hmm. structure and inhabiting that structure and going through that process do you know somebody that is in that circle of friends and people that has no formal education in arts I mean I I don't think so yeah yeah everyone I met has you know been either studying at Concordia or yeah somewhere in Montreal yeah um yeah so in yeah. that in that sense is sort of exclusive mm-hmm Group. Absolutely exclusive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's expensive to mm-hmm. study and, you know, you can get funding and those types of things, but it's, you know, it's absolutely exclusive, which mm-hmm. is a problem. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Because a lot of people have a lot of great ideas and are really smart and sensitive and should have access to the resources that a lot of people with just like privilege take for granted. It's such a privileged position to be in to be like a working artist at the same time it's a hustle oh, yeah, for a lot sure. of people absolutely you know it's not easy it yeah. doesn't pay well it's unpredictable it's precarious but um you know if i didn't know that i had friends and family that would help me if i couldn't work or wasn't able to or something like that i yeah. i probably wouldn't Or if I had if I had kids or if I, you know, had dependents or anything, I, I probably wouldn't say like, I'm gonna try and be a writer. You know, it's I think about that all the time. It's yeah. so it's yeah. so privileged. Oh yeah. In general and mostly for all disciplines, the best estimates suggest that per each extra year of education that you get, it's worth around 8% of increment to your earnings each year for the rest of your life. Trying to draw a parallel with this, I asked Nancy to help me understand the importance of having a university degree in arts to gain access to resources and also as a legitimation mechanism. I only can speak to what happens in Canada because this is where I've studied, Mm -hmm. you know, where I'm from. It's written into like every little piece of the administrative or bureaucratic side of being an artist. So if you apply for a grant, sometimes the um, the like the requirements will be that you have a, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree and this many shows and this there's so many markers of validation that are like uh, that are behind barriers, you know, financial barriers and, and whatever. but um, yeah, absolutely. People look I look at that. If, you know, if I were writing about someone or just interested in them, I'd say, okay, they did, you know, they did their, it's just so embedded in, um, that's not to say that some people evade it and sort of work around it and Mm -hmm. um, manage to make art and become part of these communities without going to university. But it's the only sure path to accessing these resources in these communities. The only other way is if you're, I'm incredibly charismatic and yeah. incredibly talented yeah. and um, that does happen, but um, it's not as common. Not as common. No. Yeah. yeah. And this is not something that I think is great. <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's what I've seen and it's what yeah. it's how if you're talking about artists like being an artist as a career, 
there are all of these sort of like steps and benchmarks. And, you know, one of those is having a degree most of the time. Most of curators have your background. Is that something that you were interested in? Um, I have curated a couple small shows, but um, I am altogether too shy and awkward to be a curator. There's so much socializing. I can't get wrap my head around that. I think I realized that a couple years ago and I was like, you know, I'm really interested in this idea and I, I like to write, you know, like when it comes to writing a little catalog essay or something like that. I'm still doing those types of things, but um, the social aspect is overwhelming. If You know, if you think about it, it is it's so important. You need to not only have a lot of contacts and know a lot of people, but sort of uh, be able to facilitate and navigate a lot of different relationships and a lot of different types of people and um, woo people into collaborating with you. And um, yeah, I just kind of ruled it out because it was too stressful. So you chose to go on the writing side of things? Yeah. So I'm a freelance writer. Sometimes I write art reviews for Canadian art. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is usually really great. And they have a new editor now. And I think, and it's really, I'm excited. I'm really excited for, for how it's going to be because they're, they're commissioning pieces from a lot of writers who are, you know, not typically art historians or art critics, but, uh, you know, like poets and, and mm. activists and, yeah, all kinds of different um, people. So I'm excited for where that's going. Canadian art, how does that work? How do you get that job? I was in Banff at the Banff Center doing mm-hmm. a residency. They had an exhibition on there, and I pitched that to the editors at Canadian Art, and um, they said, "Yeah, sure. We, you know, I'm sure they don't have a whole lot of people in Banff. It's not as high traffic as Toronto or, yeah. <laughs> you know, Vancouver or Montreal." So um, I started out with that, and um, since then I've just, you know filled in the blanks if they need something reviewed in Montreal, usually I'll That's great. I'll do that. I didn't ask you about Spiffy, and I, I'm really oh. interested. So how did that start? Uh, Spiffy Moose started in the, when I was doing my master's, mm-hmm. I felt very um, restricted by the format of a lot of the writing that was required of a master's student in art history. And um, I just wanted to provide a platform for my peers to sort of write things that were like personal or funny or weird or sort of like any format, like a short story, poem, whatever. That was sort of the original idea. And then I also had a lot of friends who were studying at Concordia in the fine arts program. So I was like, let's definitely combine the two. Let's build bridges between these two communities. Those were all the lofty aspirations that that started it. And then um, it just kind of became this like weird little magazine that's awesome that, though. Um, yeah so yeah. we did one issue uh in 2015 and then um that was very concordia based and then mm. the most recent issue second issue um that sort of expanded a little bit i made a lot of uh, contacts when i was in banff mm-hmm. and um sort of called on some of the writers that I met there and was interested in their work. So it's a, it expanded a little bit beyond Concordia. And I also wanted it to be 
you know what, I just really wanted it to be pleasurable. Like, I just really wanted it to be accessible and fun to read. Not that it's, like, so original to write about art in an experimental way, but um, it's been, like, a really great project for meeting people and for bringing together artists and, and writers in a way that's not so prescribed, like, I'm doing a review or I'm doing a feature. So that was... That's great. Yeah. It's your project. Yeah. You started it yourself. Um, yeah, it was my idea, but yeah. we have a we have a bunch of editors that yeah. are really great and help me. I could not, I can't, I couldn't do it alone. So it's yeah. yeah. So the logistics of it. So I mean, it has to be monetized somehow. Yeah. So yeah. the first year that we did it, um, we we received a lot of fun, all of our funding from Concordia. Mm. So which was really helpful because, you know, they're they're always game for supporting students and artists that are that are there that are studying there. So um, that's how it worked in the first year. Uh, and then this year we had like half of our editorial board was still at Concordia. So half of our funding came from Concordia and the rest came from other grants. Uh, the BAMF Center um, provided some funding and um, we had a little bit of advertising. We tried that out this year. Um, Did it work? Uh, it was medium. I think, you know, it's hard. it's a hard sell because it's like a really small magazine that's just starting out so people are like what is this and why but um i think it's something that we'll build on so we kind of like cobbled it together this year and then you know you make you have a launch and you hopefully pay for the venue with your sure. bar sales and whatever did that happen this year yeah good yeah. Great. so we we broke even this year so yeah let's go how do you find the uh, collaborators um a lot of friends that were from school yeah Yeah, so that's where that came from, and a lot of artists, friends, friends of friends. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, after we did the first issue, we do a call for submissions. So we do have an open call, and um, some of the artists that we feature, I never met them before. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, they just submitted their work. So oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not like a totally, you know, exclusive thing at all. There's a there's an open call, and we have a jury, and... Yeah. Congrats on that. Cool project to have. Thanks. And what is the plan for the magazine? Um, I think the plan is to forget about it until I have to think about it again. Because <laughs> um, it takes a lot of work <laughs> and time. <laughs> But we, like, now we're on this schedule sort of of, like, spring once a year okay. publication. So yeah. we could do it again next year. Yeah. We very well might. Yeah. But, um, like, everything is just so fucked in 2016 it's just like you think you can read writing about art anywhere you there are so many writers and there's so many different ways of 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 writing about art and there's so many different like value producing systems now that it's not it's not centralized at all and it's um overwhelming is that bad I though think, i think that's good yeah i think it's good to like take you know to decentralize power yeah in that way but Um, it is overwhelming because yeah. then it, it, as an artist, you know, you're not, you can't rely on those cornerstones of um, value pronouncements mm -hmm. in the art world. You, you can't say like, oh, Clement Greenberg or whatever reviewed my show. This is n like the next step to getting, you know, it's a lot more nebulous now. Oh, sure. Like the, the path to sort yeah. of recognition as an artist. Do you think that's probably because there's more artists? Proliferation of yeah. artists and critics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I write an art review, I never imagine that someone is looking at it as a way of 
deciding whether or not this artist is of value or should oh, be sure. mm-hmm. um, considered successful or never. You know, I, I try to, like, write something that it can exist adjacent to the to the work mm-hmm. and sort of, mm-hmm. I mean, like not to... enhance it at all. I would never say that, but um, can just complement it and be give people maybe another point of access into the work. Um, I've never written a review that's been like, you know, this show is unsuccessful because this and this. Not to say that negative criticism isn't necessary, but... A little bit of that is needed, though, because right now there's not too many people who says those things, you know? I just think it would be great if whoever takes that position isn't, like, an old white man. Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, that would I be, mean, like, yeah. Yeah. feel for everyone to yeah. have some other voices coming in and being heard and... Um, being critical, I probably will get into that in the story that I read at the end. Awesome. Yeah. As I was editing this part of the interview, there was one thought stuck in my mind. If you were born after 1980 and before the year 2000, you are considered a millennial. We have, for the most part of our lives, been in contact with technology and a fast stream of information flooding our devices. Everything is reachable and everything can be mastered with the help of technology. It is perhaps a generational condition to look for more and not to settle with just enough. How do you go from writing for a magazine and doing all these things in art history to comedy, though? I mean, there, yeah. must, there must be a link somewhere. Yeah, so the comedy was always there. I grew up watching Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. um, and sort of admiring funny women like Molly Shannon, Sherry O'Terry, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, uh, Maya Rudolph. Like, all of these comedians were just sort of like, I don't know, I never really thought that it was like I just thought that it was like something I liked and it could just exist that way the way that you like a TV show Mm -hmm. or you like you know a sport or yeah it's just kind of there and it's always been there and you just naturally watch it and are interested Um, and then I did a little bit of like improv when I was in high school and it just kind of like evaporated into nothing Mm -hmm. it didn't really go anywhere Mm -hmm. Um, I I think it's like a matter of like false starts I, Mm -hmm. I really and then I was like, oh, I want to be around like people who are making things. So that was like a part of, a piece of it was there. But then I was like, I'm going to go do art history and be around artists and people who are making films and like doing creative things. So yeah. that, that was a piece of it was satisfied, but it wasn't fully there. And then when I did my master's, I remember being in um, seminars and just being like, how can I, what's funny? Like what's we're reading about the Cold War, but, like, there's got to be something fucking funny about this, and I want to say it, because it's just, like, something that guides your interest. And for me, that's, like, absurdity and humor, even if I'm reading something that's not, like, you know, directly related. So I kind of listened to that. I was like, okay, what, what are you doing right now? Like, it was more fun to just sort of, like, make fun of academia for me Mm -hmm. than to be in it. But um, I think it just threw it fully into relief doing the master's. It was like, okay, I know this is what I'm I'm contrasting myself. You know, this is way too serious and in in that that it. So, um, and then I had some friends who do comedy here in Montreal and they were like, 
sort of also getting back into it. Um, and there were connections there between artists and, and comedians, too. Like uh, one of my friends who does comedy now, he went to he did creative writing at Concordia. So there are like definitely ties between those communities. Um, yeah, it's creative work, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's not so, um, you know, unrelated. Like there, there are definitely communities that are kind of like melding and have overlap. So I went to do this uh, residency in Banff. Mm-hmm. And it was a writing residency uh, for art writers to do like, I guess, experimental work. Um, and it was amazing. But... I feel like my love of comedy started just like seeping out of me. I couldn't even control it. And I was embarrassed because I was like, comedy is so tacky. <laughs> oh, it's like that green just for laughs monster and people being pranked on TV. And it's like, that's uh-huh. comedy. Like, what the fuck am I going to do there? How am I going to be part of it? But um did this residency. And then I people were like, well, what are you interested in? Like, what? What do you want to do? What do you? And then finally, I was like, okay, 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 backed up against the wall. I maybe I want to write in a way that's a little bit funny. And people were like, write about art, write about art in a way that's fun. fun. I mean, it's not so far fetched. People have, you know, there are a lot of writers who are funny, but it is a weird marriage. Sure, you know, like you don't tend to be like busting up at reading an art review. You sure. know, it's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to marry the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were so, everyone was so encouraging. And so they were like, why don't you do stand-up at this residency? We'll do a reading night. Um, a bunch of the other writers uh, read um, samples of their work. And they were like, y- you should do stand-up. And I was like, oh, fuck. This is so insane. Because I'm here to do an art writing residency. And I'm just about to tell a bunch of dumb <laughs> jokes about, like, silly like mountain things and i just it was incredible now that you're talking about that every comedian that i follow they always talk about how hard at the beginning is comedy especially stand-up comedy how do you find it people were just so encouraging and the writers in that group were so so sweet about it and so encouraging and they were like you should do this like wow, why don't you do this you know and uh, from from when I came back, I was like, okay, don't ignore it. Stand-up comedy is, for me right now, um, a vehicle, not not an end. Like I I don't I do that to sort of work out ideas and to push myself to do something that's uncomfortable mm. and um, yeah, just sort of like gauge, you know, whether or not that's something I should do. You know, it's, there's no more direct way. That, and this is a way that it's completely different from writing and from academia. It's direct. You either people are going to laugh or they're not. And it's great because you can really develop quickly because you can see what works and what doesn't when you're performing. Um, but at the same time, I mean, stand-up is not the ultimate goal for me. Sure. I, I can't. I, it's too fucking stressful. But the stand-up is like training. Okay. You know, and it's also a great way to meet people. People sure. can see what you're doing. They see, you know, what your sense of, of humor is like, and you can build a community out of that. And it's happened insanely fast, quicker I, than anything has happened in, in art for me. Like, the social aspect of it has just exploded. And people are so—I think it's because people are—comedians are, are wrecks. They're, like, vulnerable, 
sweet nerds yeah. just like yeah. want to know what you're up to and want to collaborate with you. So, great. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been really, really nice. Hey, here Marks again. I hope you're enjoying the conversation with writer and comedian Nancy Webb. Oh, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast before January 15th of 2017, I would recommend you to visit the Montreal Biennale at the Museum of Contemporary Art. There are some local artists featuring the exhibition. Okay, let's go back to the show. There are so many comedians who are far beyond that mold of what people think of when they think stand-up comedy. Yeah. Um, who are coming from, like, academic backgrounds. Oh, absolutely. Or who are coming from, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, all kinds of different backgrounds and bringing, like, really cool, diverse voices to comedy. And um, it's it's exciting. And there are also artists who are doing, like, um, there's an artist, her name is Bridget Moser, and mm -hmm. she does, she's from Toronto, and she does these, like, performances yeah. that are absurdist, and she uses props. And Were they and in CK2? No, that was, a different, that was a different. She, well, she might have, but there was um, another um, artist collective that does like funny kind of yeah. performances. Yeah. Uh, Fake Injury Party is yeah. is the name of that group. Yeah. So there are like artists who are doing kind of performative comedy, which is also like they do they somewhere in between they do meet you know performance but, and and comedy, comedy. and art. Like yeah. there are sort of meeting points yeah in comedy i feel that a, a lot of the topics that you would touch is something that you live you know like very personal in this case do you include art in your in your performances uh, i've been trying to do like less personal comedy oh yeah lately. so like um and just like one you know one thing that i'm working on for just for laughs is like a um, just an apartment listing in the middle of my act. So just to sort of like satirize awesome. like the way, yeah. you know, it's like, um, I just have an apartment for rent. Uh, so sorry, it's just <laughs> going to be a quick second. Um, it's a communal artist loft uh, slash kombucha factory in Myland. Uh, we have three stray cats. Um, one of them has pink eye and he doesn't like it when you look at him in that eye and just, I don't know. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Sort of like yeah, yeah, yeah. all of these pieces of people and like, I guess like character types yeah. that, um, that I love. Yeah. I feel absolute like, um, like adoration for people who are inspiring me to do these characters. Like, yeah. It's not out of like a mean-spirited play no, but no. it's like, no, it's like it's, i really it's, like that type of comedy uh -huh. that's sort of like a really 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 acute satire sure. yeah of yeah. a type of person or a type of behavior person um especially when that behavior is like borderline obnoxious yeah like when like montreal everyone's trying to like like save more money than everyone else everyone's like oh where did you how much is your rent yeah oh yeah i, I have three roommates so it's like 300 dollars. it's in vilray <laughs> you know, like people, it's like I'm embarrassed if I buy a new pair of oh, shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. God, my shoes look so fucking new. I'm yeah, yeah, ashamed. Yeah. Too shiny. Yeah, people yeah. like dumpster dive. People are very into, like, Buns Trading Zone. Actually? Have you heard of yeah. Buns Trading Zone? No. It's oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I have. Yeah, phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Craigslist, but uh, you just For trade. hipsters. Just trade. Yeah. Instead of... Hipsters, that's, like, not a real term anymore. That's... No, yeah, hipsters. But, but it's, like, I mean, it's great. It's... A, great trading economy but it is like 
then you have like the extreme version of a person who like loves Bun's Trading Zone on there all the time. Just like we'll come to your apartment just to have company and talk to you. Um, <laughs> and I love like I love these these types of people, and I I don't know I'm interested in that. Well, that's great. I mean, you get like a lot of material there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not. I mean, I'm not against uh, subjective kind of like vulnerable comedy either. I love I love that too. Yeah, I've done a bit of that. So I think that's that's more relatable just because you can also think about your life. You know, yeah. when when somebody's talking about theirs. Yeah. You know, I think I'm thinking of Aziz Ansari or. Seinfeld, they're not the big yeah. guys, and yeah. that's what they do, right? They yeah. just talk about what they did today in yeah. a funny way. Um, I think I'm I'm leaning, Talks. like when I'm doing comedy, I'm, yeah. I'm leaning more towards just sort of integrating into that world. Although that world is scary, you know, I've been oh, yeah. to like super sad open mics where it's like one, it's like all dudes, not a single yeah. woman in the room, and they're all just like ignoring each other's jokes to like go up and like yell it into each other's faces for five minutes. Like there's a lot of like dark corners of comedy and pe sometimes people just want to be heard um yeah a lot of like racist comics oh yeah <laughs> bad material but on the flip side there's also a lot of people who are putting on really cool like smart inclusive shows yeah. and doing interesting things in montreal in, in comedy there's something that is interesting that is if you're in a show if you're performing then you can say anything i guess i mean like well, how do you feel about that mm. Uh, you know, it's something to get used to. Yeah. Because I, like I said, I'm coming from a background of like, most recently from academia sitting in seminar mm -hmm. rooms where everyone's just like, so, so tightly holding themselves, holding their breath, saying, I hope I don't say something offensive. I hope I don't cross a line. Just literally their insides are like screaming, like, please don't say something offensive. Yeah. And then, then you go into these rooms, you know, clubs and you listen to fucking comics just saying like horrible offensive things and you just have to sit there like okay this is happening but I that being said I do choose my environments carefully yeah. so I choose the shows that I do I try to surround myself with people that I know are doing um, interesting and like you know not awful offensive okay. Okay. comedy so you can kind of like um, tailor your own experience Experience to an extent until you, I, I would say, reach a certain point of success when you're just going to be like exposed to whatever comes your way. Yeah, I don't know. I so, think, I mean, in a sense, it's it allows things to be like everything is aired out a lot more quickly in yeah. comedy because it's like yeah. I'm going to come into this room and say yeah. things out loud and that it's just going to happen. Whereas art in, in the art world and academia, there's a lot of like oh, yeah. insidious mm. beliefs that are sort of like buried under layers of rhetoric and it's just like everyone's kind of sidestepping each other and then like gossiping about each other behind closed doors and comedy is just kind of like all out on the table yeah you know but i feel that, nice. that because because it's Sometimes. a performance then it has that mask right yeah that is every, anything that i say up here it's a show and then what i believe it may be something else Yeah. Is that is that a thing? Absolutely, yeah. Some comedians do like a really like mean stage presence, and then they're like incredibly exactly. sweet and generous exactly. off stage. So I don't know. That's a that's a nice aspect of it. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I just have more fun. Yeah. I just have more fun doing comedy. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you do you have a like an objective, a goal? What what do you want from this? This is like the weirdest time to do this podcast because I'm in like a whirlwind of doubt 
and questioning, but or maybe it's the best time. Yeah. Yeah. But I know, like, I know that I know what I like. And I think that's important, an important place to start. I know the people who are making things. I know who they are. And um, the ideal thing for me, I think, at this point, would be to work on a project like a short film or, you know, some sketch videos or something um, that is, like, funny and smart and sweet and meaningful all at once. And I know that's really vague, but that's, like... The ideal for me. That was that was another exercise that I wanted to try with you. So, if you were to be paid to do anything you wanted with writing, what would you choose to do? Like a movie, musical, any anything like that wide. Wow. Um. Short film. Yeah. Yeah, I think short film or just film. The the alternative answer is like to write for a show like um, Full Frontal, like Samantha Bee, which is like a um, nighttime news parody show. Sure. It's amazing. Um, or like write for Saturday Night Live or do something okay. like that. Like those are like, you know, real dream, obvious dreams. But then I do love the idea of like a collaborative project that is rooted in comedy but then branches out and sort of incorporates other areas and other yeah no 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 sure 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 the show's a little bit of more of your range yeah i guess Yeah. yeah yeah i can only bring so much to comedy at this point i'm not brave enough to be fully integrating all the parts of myself and my knowledge yet i'm really just trying to make people laugh So no, but I mean, this is also yeah. the beginning, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's it takes it takes a little while. Yeah. But but the thing is, if you're enjoying it, definitely. Yeah. It's easier to just go towards what feels good. Yeah. It's so human. Yeah. You're just like, okay, well, fuck it. Like this is what's fun. <sighs> you know, a exactly. lot of the parts of a lot of the parts of my masters were agonizing, mm. and I was like, tell me about it. Yeah. You know. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. take a break yeah. from this. Because the other thing is you can be good at something yes. and yeah. not enjoy it, of course. Mm. That's obvious. Oh, But sure. sometimes sure. it's not obvious to you. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, I'm, I'm good at it, so I must like it, Yeah. right? Or I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. But not so. But then sometimes you feel selfish when you do oh, that. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. okay, well, if I'm just like doing what I like, mm. then I'm just like a slug that's like eating like a berry slugs don't eat berries oh that was a bad metaphor but you know what i mean you're just yeah. like, oh i'm just like leaning towards like i'm just an animal you know mm-hmm. but i i think i've spent a lot of my life being like very controlled and being like okay well i'm just gonna follow what i'm good at even if i don't like it and so now i'm finally just like giving over That's to awesome. what feels good and what's fun and the pe- kinds of people that I want to be around. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like you need to find whatever you can do, <laughs> you know? I know. I That's mean, what I'm saying. Yeah. In her first year as a comedian, Nancy Webb has been pretty active. She has been having shows in different venues all around Montreal, and she participated in a show called A Stand-Up Guide to Montreal as part of the Just for Laughs Festival. I went to see that show, and I can tell you that she was great. For more information about her future shows, 
visit intothispodcast.com. Okay, the next segment is the last of the second episode. And I think you're going to enjoy what is coming. All right, here we go. All right, so you have stories to tell me? I decided to just bring in this, like, it's kind of like a draft of an essay. It's short. Don't worry. That sounded no, 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 no. ominous. Um, so there was uh, a well-known artist. His name's Thomas Hirshhorn. I think he's Swiss. And he came to Concordia in 2013 or 14, I think. And he gave, he led like a crit, like a criticism in the visual arts building at Concordia. It was just this weird thing that they programmed. And um, I signed up for it. I was the only art historian in a room of other artists. And it was just meant to be like, I guess like a training session on how to make judgments. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. I'm going to try this out. Yeah. And it ended up being like such a confusing swirl of emotions coming from it. Um, he, I mean, I'll read it and I, I still don't have like an opinion about Thomas Hirscher and I am so ambivalent. I have so many mixed emotions about, you know, what this experience was all about. But so after that, after I went to this session, I just sort of like wrote out this kind of like short story-ish kind of piece and it never got finished but i just thought that i would bring it today i'm, I'm excited i'm excited you, you you sold it really well i'm excited to hear it okay so yeah bear that bear in mind that there's not really a proper ending um but this is the story of when thomas hirshhorn came to concordia university and it's called energy maybe Thomas Hirshhorn entered a room full of MFA students on the fourth floor of the Visual Arts Building at Concordia University on Thursday, November 20th at 2 p.m., wearing a slim gray suit and hiking boots. He instructed a student to tape together four sheets of A4 paper and proceeded to make a sloppy grid with blue marker. He wrote each of our names hastily, asking us to say them out loud, which resulted in several unfortunate misspellings, for example, Adrian, Janik, Eastane, but it didn't matter. What mattered was energy. Quality? No. Energy? Yes. Over the next four hours, Hirshhorn led us through a series of 20 ruthless crits. Each workshop participant showed a piece of work, which was then evaluated by everyone individually on the criteria of energy, yes or no. The most important rule, everyone must be judged and everyone must give judgment. We began. The first work was a sketch of a dog's rib cage in pencil. We each took turns out loud, evaluating the sketch on the basis of energy yes or no and qualifying our judgments with one short sentence. Timid yeses and formal observations escaped our mouths. They wanted to be judgments, but were closer to compliments, encouragement, questions, Energy, yes, because the mark of the artist is visible. Energy, yes, because wings? Hirshhorn grunted, paced, emitted a series of exasperations in German-inflected English under his breath. Ah, come on, come on, really? The participants exchanged nervous looks. The collective desire to please with our work and our judgments was palpable. People started to take bigger leaps, be more honest, preserve their energy yeses cautiously. 
by crit number four, things were pretty raw. Energy, no, because this doesn't compel me to care. A lump grew in my throat as I contemplated the fact that I had just said I don't care about the work of someone standing directly behind me. As the only art historian in a room full of artists, I was a rookie in the practice of face-to-face -face criticism. With each judgment, I could feel my stomach tightening. With each new work, my mind reeled, staring intently at the object or video or listening to an audio clip and desperately searching for something valuable to offer, some real judgment. In my discipline, judgment is often delivered beneath a thickly insulated layer of research. We contextualize, we cite, we revise. Hardly, if ever, are art historians and art writers tasked with making a concrete judgment about an object, not the artist, in the moment, based only on sensorial data. What we see, what we hear, what we feel. Furthermore, this exercise centered on the almost impossibly evasive concept of energy. I strained to see it in the abstract paintings, industrial sculptures, and photographs that were presented that day, like staring into a murky pond and waiting for the orange flash of a goldfish. Sometimes I answered arbitrarily, scooping up the sediment where a system of values used to be deep in my brain and constituted it into a muttered reply. We were afforded a five-minute break halfway through the workshop, at which point I found myself deflated. My ability to judge artworks had been excavated and left as a pile of rubbish. I was convinced Thomas Hirshhorn did not like me personally. I was confused by the ethical implications of his video on view at the Contemporary Art Museum as part of Montreal Biennale, a gruesome slideshow of bloodied and burned corpses shattered bodies, a new atrocity with each swipe of the iPad screen. I imagined him flying Swiss air from some alpine artist loft in Zurich to Montreal to chuckle at the unfortunate blobs of failed creativity that we seemed to have been presenting that day and mock our sheepish attempts at criticism. We reconvened in the classroom with haste and continued with the remainder of the crits. As we proceeded, I noticed that many of the artists took notes. As we would articulate specific judgments about form, functionality, intention, color, and shape, Hirshhorn would urge, listen to what they say. Listen to what he or she is saying about your work. The unbridled honesty continued. Energy, no, because this looks like a Walmart rug. But in the absence of what I, unaccustomed to the crit environment, assumed would be torrents of hot, angry tears and resentful teeth gritting or all-out chaos, is a draft, so I think I just forgot to end that sentence. Instead, we spoke and listened, one by one, methodically. Our judgments were judged. Someone would say, energy, yes, because it's interesting. To which Hirshhorn would scoff, interesting, this is a good word. It seemed rude at first, but he's right. Interesting is one of the most anemic words employed in service of judging artworks. It's routinely floated into the air at art school crits, only to waft drowsily toward the window and out of the room, offending no one, helping no one. Another student observed of a painting that it did indeed possess energy because the canvas had just enough on it, but not too much. Hirschhorn brought his hand to his brow, shaking his head in a comic gesture of faux infuriation. The corner of his mouth could be seen beneath his hand, 
turned devilishly upward in a half grin. Do we go to art school to do enough, but not too much? He asked. His ridicule was beginning to feel welcome. The more cruel the comment, for example, the title at the end of your video makes me want to do suicide to myself. <laughs> the more we understood about our own work and about the value of being profoundly honest with our judgments. It must have been really awkward. It was so awkward. It was so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, like, just to put yourself in front of that and say, this is what I think of your work. Yeah. It's pretty tough. To people's faces. And how did that end? Somebody got stopped? <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were into it. Yeah. I went for drinks with some uh, of the artists after, and they were like, the cruelest thing you can do is lie to an artist about their work being good. Sure. You need to care, though. You need to care about the person, yeah. the art, you know? Yeah. Because otherwise, you just say whatever. Like you say, interesting. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> that's interesting, and that's completely like a yeah, yeah. safe. Yeah. That's great. So I want to say thank you very much for giving me this opportunity of talking to you. And I wish all the best for your projects and for you. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for having me on. This oh. was so fun. Yeah, was it? Yeah, it was fantastic. That was the end of the second episode of Into This. I want to thank Nancy Webb for such a great conversation and also for putting up with the tremendous heat in my small recording studio. And also a very special thank to my friend Milton Matthew, who has been a lot more than the sound engineer. He's been helping me with edition and some other things for the podcast. Thank you very much, man. And of course, thank you guys for listening to the show. And please let us know what you think of it. Uh, leave us a comment on Instagram or Facebook or on the website, intothispodcast.com. All right, I'm Marks, and I will talk to you soon. See ya. Into This Podcast is produced by Marks Rose Wilson. Milton Matthews is the sound engineer. Original music by Masto Gajo. Victor Garba is the visual designer. Special thanks to Raul Aguilar and Anne San Morin for their help with the edition. You can find more information about the collaborators in the website, intothispodcast.com. Thanks for listening.